Assistant coach with OKC Energy, uh, Lee. Uh, Lee, how are you doing today, man? I'm doing good, thank you. I'm doing good. How are you? Everything's good on my end. So I actually just finished watching the Man United versus PSG game. And let me tell you, uh, it wasn't pleasant on my end. Um, we were, you know, we were 1-1 uh, in the game. Uh, PSG turned it around 2-1 late in the second half. And then we got red card shortly after that. And then Neymar finished it off in the 90th minute with a, another goal to make it 3-1. So... Not happy on my end over here. You can still make it through though, right? Yeah, yeah. So I think uh, we're still first in the table right now, I believe. I think everyone has nine points, but the goal difference is, is what's separating everyone, obviously. So Man United is on top. Then you have PSG. Then you have Leipzig. But we have Leipzig in our last game of the Champions League. So we cannot afford a, a loss. Big game. Yeah, Big it's going gonna, gonna to be fun. It's going to be fun. So yeah, Lee, uh, you told me you're out in Colorado. What's that experience like? How's it been, you know, with the pandemic and things like that? I know it's kind of different across all states, you know? Yeah, I've, I've only been here since uh, close to the end of the season. Um, obviously, I lived in Oklahoma uh, for the season. My wife stayed in Colorado um, and didn't move out to Oklahoma. So it was important after the season finished, obviously, because of quarantine and the restrictions that we have in terms of traveling, who we can see and who we can cross paths with. Um, I didn't get to see him much this year, so it was important for me to come back in the off season and uh, and spend some time with me, with my wife. And I'm just lucky enough I get to do it in Colorado. No, of course, of course. So, so you haven't lived in Colorado at all before, or is this the first time you're there? What's that situation? Yeah, I moved here in 2016 uh, from Nebraska. So I was in Nebraska for probably I've moved around a little bit, but I was probably in Nebraska, Omaha for seven years. I'd say that was probably my home in America. Gotcha. Um, and then I moved to Colorado in 2016. Nice. Yeah. So I've actually never traveled anywhere out there. So I've actually, the most West I've been was actually far West, which is out in California, but I've never been up like the North, you know, Northwest or, or anything like that. So I definitely want to go out there someday. I know there's a lot of mountains and great views. I'm sure you can uh, attest for that, you know? For sure. <laughs> so yeah, Lee. Um, so just tell me about you know your upcoming into soccer. I know that you were involved in it. Well, you're from Liverpool, right? You were involved in the academies out there. Yep, from Liverpool. I moved to the US when I was 20. Um, so I've been here for about 12 years now. And what, what was that transition like moving from out there and coming over here? That was, you said 12 years ago. So that was what 2008. Yeah, 2008 was, was my first year in the USA. Um, the transition wasn't easy. It's not easy. Uh, kind, of, kind of my background was I'd, I'm from Liverpool. I've, I'd been there in my entire life, and it was really the only way of life that I knew. I didn't, I'd travel to Spain on, on holiday or go to Turkey and travel around Europe a little bit. So you get to experience different cultures, um, but you're only there for a week or two, so you don't really need to adapt to a different culture. Um, and initially when I was moving to the US, I thought it's an English speaking country. I see, I see what the US is like on TV, like how different can it be? Um, but I got a real big shock when I moved here and it was a real, real difficult adjustment. But uh, I was lucky enough to be around great people at the time. And um, I was in a real good environment in college that uh, helped me 
you know, kind of adjust to the culture in the US. So um, it was it was crazy, but now I'm probably more American than I am for English. That, that's crazy you say that because it's funny. My So my parents are immigrants too. They come from Honduras and I feel like my parents can kind of feel the same way. More so my dad, he feels more American now than Honduran. So that's pretty funny that you mentioned that. Did you feel sort of homesick, you know, when you first came over here? Um, I don't think you'll ever not miss home. Uh, it's, it's always it's always in your heart, you know, mm-hmm. especially for me coming from Liverpool and people from Liverpool are very proud of where they're from. And that's probably most places, right? I mean, you're probably proud of your city and where you're from and, and et cetera. So you never really lose that ever. Um, but I was at a stage in my life where I was living at home alone with my mother and my two sisters. And I was, I was 20. I wanted to pursue, you know, the dream of becoming a pro. Um, it never worked out at home and I wanted my own independence. So I got an opportunity to come to the USA and um, I took a massive step and a gamble in doing that. And, uh, you know, thankfully I'm still here and it's, it's going okay for me right now. But, um, you know, it, you, you miss home all the time, but I wanted my independence. I wanted to get away and, and kind of get out of Liverpool and just carve a different path for myself. Um, so that was my intention when I came here. I hear you on that. I'm sure a lot of people feel the same way, right? Always, it's always scary moving out at first, but sometimes you got to do, you know, take that next step in your life and your career and wherever that path might take you. Um, and so tell me more about that. So you come to the U.S. and wh- what do you decide to do here? You, have, you say you had an opportunity over here. Did you play in college at all? Was it that? Yeah. So um, I'll rewind a little bit. So uh, I played at home. I also went to a local college at home. So in England, high school finishes at 16 and then you go to what you would probably considered a junior college and then you go to university. So I was at what you would consider a junior college here in England. Um, and one of my instructors, his brother was a coach over in the USA and uh, I played for the college and they approached him about me potentially going to the US and looking for a scholarship. So I was like, let's go for it. It hasn't worked out here for me. So let's try go to the USA and see if I can, I can, I can make the dream happen there. So, we got connected. I ended up coming to the USA on a trial in 2007, no, 2006, I think it was. But also prior to that, and also the same year, I'd been over with a team from Liverpool and played in the Dallas Cup. Um, I'm, not, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the Dallas Cup, but it's a massive international tournament in the US, uh, in, sorry, in, in Dallas. And a team from Liverpool selects 18 players to go over there. Mm. Um, so between that and my college, I had some opportunities to come to the USA. Um, I was I was supposed to, uh, I was initially recruited by Creighton, um, but that didn't work out for eligibility reasons. So they basically placed me in a, a local school in Iowa called Iowa Western Community College. Um, so they said, go there, you know, we'll keep an eye on you, you're close, uh, we'll watch your grades, make sure you're a good student, and then we'll see what happens. So... I was in Iowa, uh, Iowa Western for a couple of years, and I then tried to transfer. Uh, it didn't work out for me to go to an NCAA school. I was ineligible, not because of grades. Um, from what I can remember, it was something or classes or a course that I took back home. So it just didn't work out for me to go to, to a division one level. So then I uh, played NAIA for University of Texas at Brownsville. And then I transferred to Bellevue University, which was back to Omaha or the Omaha area. Right. Um, and yeah, in between all of that, I played PDL. I played PDL for 
for years. I played up in Toronto for Toronto Lynx, uh, and I played for Des Moines Menace. So, in a nutshell, that's kind of the playing career that I had. Uh, never made it to the next level, um, but that was my career in the U.S. from a soccer perspective. Right. So that would be what that would be what is concerned now USL two, I guess. That's the level you were playing at. Yep, USL two. Right. And so so talk to me about that because I guess from when you were playing to now it's com- it's completely changed, right? Soccer is massively involved here in the US. You see more, you know, top US players going out there in Europe, you know, you have Gio Reyna, Pulisic, Kenzie, etc. The list goes on and on. Tell me more about that and the evolution. You've uh, you've gone quiet. Hit the mute button. Sorry about that. Always yeah. happens. Always happens to me. So yes. Let me just rephrase my question. Basically, I was asking you how do you think the USL two has evolved, or the USL in general, from when you were playing versus now. Um, it's it's very different for sure, and it's different for for the, for the better. Um, I think the the evolution of football in itself in in the US forget USL, from college, from youth, from every single part of the US pyramid, I think has improved tremendously. Um, Not that when I came in 2008, it was bad uh, by any means. In fact, I came over with the mentality that, you know, football is not the first sport in America. The level's not going to be great. That was my mentality when I come come over in 2008. And I was wrong. I was completely wrong. Um, Because when I came over, the level was good. It was good. The level was good in college. The level was good in PDL when I played there. Um, so I instantly got, you know, got proven wrong, which was was good for me because it really made me, um, it really made me r- realize that I'm not going to walk into any team. I'm not going to come over here and, and be the guy. I've got to earn it. I've got to fight for it. I've got to work for it. Um, so, yeah, I think I think from from 2008 to today, the the game is 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 develop tremendously and I think it's only going to keep going that way no I agree with you there and what do you think about particular you know comparing the college game versus you know the USL because I always have players come up to me and saying oh well you know I'm thinking about leaving college like I really want to go pro this and that or try to make it and obviously everyone wants to make it right that's involved you know that's their dream but what would you what, what advice would you have those for those young players you're like because I know obviously you know you decided to you know leave your home and come to the states to try it out here but you obviously went to college too. So what kind of advice do you have for those young kids that are like are undecided in what route to take? Get your degree. Right? Get, get your degree first. Um, and I, and I, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll share a, a little bit of a sensitive story here and it's a personal story um, that I've got no problem sharing. So in 2008, when I came to the USA with that mentality of, you know, I'm gonna, I'm coming here to play football and uh, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be fine, because the level wasn't great in my mind. Um, but like I said, I was wrong. So in 2008, I came to the USA. I went to school, and I just couldn't connect the fact that I had to do well in class for me to play. I couldn't understand that concept of of my grades mattered that much to where um, they needed to be good. My GPA needed to be good. My grades needed to be good in order for me to play. And I just couldn't connect that. I just, it just wouldn't register with me. Um, so I was a really poor student in my first, first semester in the USA, very first semester in the fall. And I had a good season. I had a, I had a pretty good season um, at Iowa Western, and I failed every single class. 
Next thing, I lose my scholarship and I'm on the next plane back to England. And within six months, my US dream of making it to the next level was over. Um, and next thing that happened to me was I was back in England and in 2008, there was the recession. So um, I, I was back home and I couldn't even get a job. I couldn't get a part-time job. I couldn't, I couldn't do anything. So I thought I'd lost everything just because I was really immature. Um, and I just didn't, I just didn't put education first. I put football first. So that was a massive lesson for me. And thankfully uh, I had some people who believed in me and, and helped me put those wrongs right. And when I came back uh, the year after, I thankfully passed every class with the best, the best grades I could and got my GPA um, as high as I could. And from then on out, I was, I was a really good student. I always put, I always put being a, a student first. Um, and now fast forward a few years, I'm fortunate enough that now I've got uh, uh, an associate, associate uh, a, mas a bas bachelor's <laughs> and a master's all because of football, because of that experience. That experience put me on the right track to say, I need to put education first. Even if I do make it to the next level, I need to put it first. Even if I don't, I need to put it first. So I'm very fortunate that I've, I've, I've had the educational pathway I've had because of football. Now, I'm at the professional level, I'm starting to see players who are now at the back end of their careers and stepping away from football um, and now asking questions, what do I do? Mm. And that's a, that's, that's a hard question to ask, what do I do now, especially if you don't have a degree, especially if you don't have a degree, because you don't have anything to fall back on. So regardless, I will always say, put your education first, um, because football, it can be over in five minutes. You never know, and um, you need something to, to really, you know, to really fall back on. Because by the time you you get through your career, you may have a kid, you may have a wife, you may have more than one kid, you may have a mortgage, a car payment. What are you going to do then if you have no education? It's tough. So I highly recommend getting your getting your education first. That is honestly the best advice I've heard in a long time, right there, Lee. You you hit it right on the head because I completely agree with you. There has to be a point where a player realizes, of course, you have to be ambitious. There has to be a point where, like, you have to think about that future. What happens when my career ends? Uh, you know, it could end, like you said, in five minutes. It's no nothing is ever, you know, set in stone for you. You think your career is going great at one point, the next, it's gone. That's just the reality of life, and you have to really be able to adapt and think and be mature. Like you said, you learned through all those experiences. You were fortunate enough. Maybe other people won't be as fortunate enough, right? To, like, be able to come back and redeem themselves. So it's very important. Again, like I always tell people, like, don't leave school, don't leave school, really think about it, really think about what you're doing, because you're in here in the first place because of your soccer and you get to have a free education. I think you should take a big advantage of that opportunity. Yeah, I mean, I learned that lesson within, within five months of me being in the USA. And um, I, I look back to what I was thinking then, and I, was, I, I wasn't, it, it didn't really affect me that much. And then when I moved back to, to, back to the home, and then I was like, it, it hit me really hard, but I'm looking at that experience so early on in my, in my career, so to speak, whether it was a player or as a coach, but I'm lucky to have had that experience. Some people have not had that experience and may not have that experience to really put that right. So, you know, if I can give you some advice, it's um, don't do what I did and just get your education. For sure. For sure. And then just going like, backtracking a little so you grew up in Liverpool I think I read somewhere you were, you played in the Liverpool and Everton academies if I'm correct 
Was, yeah. that, was that at a young age? What was that experience like for you? Yeah, I, I mean, I wasn't with Liverpool very long, nor with Everton very long. Um, but it was amazing. I mean, I'm a Liverpool fan. It's it's in my blood. I I, I I'm fortunate for you. I'm a massive Liverpool fan, and you're yeah. the, you're my biggest rival. But um, it was you know just being able to be in and around the academy, being around um, you know some of the big timers who were rolling around the academy, brushing shoulders with some of the pros who come in and, and run a session or come and watch a training session. It's it's just a it was just a different world, but it was short lived. Never worked out for me, um, but those experiences live with you forever. Yeah, and so what do you th- what, what, what do you think about Liverpool season so far? Uh, it's been very up and down, but I'm just I'm amazed at the fact that you know the 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 resilience that we've had and and the young kids coming up um, who have stepped in to fill some big shoes and losing some of the big players we've got missing right now and. Uh, you know, we're still up at the top of the table in both the Champions League and, and the Premier League. So I'm I'm surprised a little bit, but I'm not too surprised because Klopp's been phenomenal. He's been phenomenal. I think it's the 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 situation we're in right now and where we find ourselves both in the league and the Champions League, that pay, that's just testament to Klopp and what he's set in in the locker room um, and in, in the squad as a whole. The mentality set there is just phenomenal. So we still yeah. have a long to go, though. <laughs> and so, like going back off that point, what do you, what, well, what I'm trying to say is, what do you think is the, the role that a manager plays in, right? Because I know, for example, like in the pros and other sports, like for example, MLB, like in baseball, I'm not sure if you follow it. Managers don't really seem that important in that sport, or like even basketball, like it, all they say, it's all you know. Players run the league. It's really them who determine things. So how, what kind of role do you think a manager plays in soccer in particular? How important do you think a manager really is to set that culture? And, you know, obviously, as far as, you know, uh, the training sessions, the formations, et cetera, tactics, all that. Uh, it's absolutely imperative. I mean, he, he's, he is the guy, like you just said, he sets the culture. Um, and I don't think if you have a good locker room with good people who are all pulling in the right direction that you, if you don't have that, I don't think the tactics, I don't think anything else matters. You know, the results, in my opinion, they just don't come. Um, So the manager sets the tone for all of that. And if you get that right, then I'm being biased, of course, with Klopp, but if you get that right, you can see how that culture, you can see how that common goal and that direction of the entire squad um, is, is, is huge because you, you look at Liverpool squad and they've got some big time players and you think, okay, they should be doing really good. They should be, but now they're not there. Now look at the squad today and who, who's in there. We've got a lot of young kids, a lot of inexperienced kids at the Premier League level, the Champions League level. And look at the results we've been getting lately with those players in there. So I think that in itself speaks massive volumes of the culture and the importance of the culture and the common goal and direction of the players, which is set by the manager. Um, so I think I, I couldn't think of a better, better example, even though I'm being biased. <laughs> of course. I'm definitely a big fan of Klopp too. Even from his time with Dortmund, it was already you know certain that he was going to be a, one of the great managers in the years to come. And he's not proving that with Liverpool. Now, now, going back to, like, your career, 
So fast forward now. So you played soccer, you know, you did that, you got your degree. So what led you to become a scout and just sort of walk me through that? A coach. What was that? What led me to be a scout or a coach? So you were first a coach, right? And then now you're an assistant. Oh, you were well, my coach. I'm sorry. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah, no, it's all good. It's all good. Um, so I've always coached. It's always been something that I've done. So when I was in, in kind of the equivalent to junior college in England, uh, the course I took was actually in coaching and I had a coaching element. So back then I was, I was 17, 18. So we, I was coaching then. And then when I moved to the USA, you know, it's, it's a common thing that you do is you, you come to the US and um, you find your way as an international, you know, coaching in some way, shape or form. Um, so when I came to the USA, I, I was coaching immediately and it's something I've just always done. It's just always been a, a, a passion of mine just because football is a passion of mine. Um, and then as I started to realize a little bit later in my playing career that, you know, it's probably not going to work out for me as uh, going to the next level. Um, roughly around the same time, I was starting to progress a little bit more in the, in the soccer hierarchy, so to speak. Um, in terms of the, the pyramid of, of, of uh, the, the football pyramid in the USA, you know, going from, um, you know, coaching kids who were just coming into the game, the, you know, foundational phase, if you want to put something on it. Um, I'm working my way up through girls and boys and middle school and high school and ODP um, into college and PDL and then um, making a step to the pro level. So it's uh, it's something I've always done. It's something I've always been fascinated with because as a player, I was always a real student of the game. I always wanted to learn. I always wanted to be better. I always analyzed myself, the opposition, the players I'm playing with, the players I'm playing against. Um, I was always intrigued by the educational side of it, the tactical side. I always paid uh, close attention to all my managers and, and how they dealt with situations. Um, so it was just always something I was, I was really intrigued by. And also from an early, early, uh, my early years in the US, I instantly started to take my coaching badges. Um, and that's something I kept up with uh, through the years of, of coaching and, and playing too. So it's, um, it's something that's kind of been a natural progression. It's not something I've forced in terms of me trying to really get to the next level. It's just something that's been natural. I've not pushed it. I've just really focused on education, being better, being a better me, and um, being able, able to help the players around me. And if I can do that well, I, I, I felt like, you know, if, if I did that really well and focus on those things, whatever comes next, comes next. If it's a step to the next level, great. If it's not, you just keep plugging away and keep trying to be better. So... That's kind of the, the background for me from a coaching perspective. Right. And so now fast forward to 2020, you're now an assistant coach, right? With OKC. Uh, what sort of led you to, you know, take that role and, and tell me how that experience has been so far? I know that pandemic certainly with, with the pandemic, right? It hasn't been, you know, easy year, but just tell me about that. Yeah. So I'll, I'll, I'll actually fast forward to last year because last year was my first year in the pros. Um, part of my, Part of my education is in exercise science, and I also have an interest in the, you know, if you, just the scientific side of football too. So this, you know, strength and conditioning, fitness coach, you know, whatever phrase you want to put on it. 
Um, so last year, Fresno FC, uh, who are no longer in the USL Championship, uh, but they were in the championship last year, they were looking for a, a, a strength and conditioning coach. Um, so I was connected with the club and essentially I was hired to be the, you know, the strength and conditioning coach, but obviously I, I had a strong uh, background, I wouldn't say a strong background, I had a strong connection to coaching um, and football, being a, a football coach. So I kind of had the dual role there to where I was the assistant coach, but also the, the fitness coach at Fresno FC last year. So that was my foot in the door in the pros. Um, but I knew, I knew deep down that I didn't want to be associated as, as being, you know, the fitness coach. I, I wanted to be an assistant coach um, who has knowledge in that side of the game. Um, so last year, we had a really good year in Fresno. Um, we had a pretty good season. And then, of course, Fresno FC ceased operations. So I was looking for a new job. Um, so the head coach of OKC, John Pascarella, um, if you don't know John, he's got an extensive background in the MLS. He was with Sporting Kansas City for a while as a goalkeeper coach and assistant coach. Um, won the MLS Cup, won US Open Cups, and he was also more recently with uh, Minnesota United. Um, he became the head coach in Des Moines Menace in 2017, um, and he wanted to bring me in. And that was the first time I really met John. So we connected back then and we, we continued to keep a good relationship. I never ended up going to play for him and still to this day, he gives me crap about it. Um, but I never ended up going to play for him because I moved here to Colorado uh, for a job. So we kept in touch and after Des Moines, he moved to Minnesota United. So he was there and I, I was trying to continue my education and just to, 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 to really understand what it took to be at the next level. So Minnesota were down in Florida and they were doing preseason there. So I said to John, hey, can I come down on my own dime? I'll come down. I just want to observe. I just want to see what it's like to be at the next level. I want to watch Adrian. I want to watch Mark. I want to watch you, the staff, the players. What's it like? So he invited me down. I went down. I was there for, I think, I think about seven to ten days. I don't remember exactly. Um, and yeah, that, that, was kind of, that was kind of our relationship. Um, Ever since then, we kept in touch. We'd always connect. We'd, we'd just catch up. When I had challenging situations in, in, in my job and in life, I'd call John, I'd get advice. And that was just how we, we stayed connected through time. And then um, he wanted to step into being a head coach and he got the opportunity at OKC. So uh, we had a conversation about me, me going there with him and it worked out. So John hired me in, uh, in January to go, to go with him to, to OKC. And... Um, of course, COVID came in, so it was a difficult year, but, you know, I, I, I couldn't be happier. Yeah, it sounds like a great opportunity. You have a great relationship, relationship already with John, so that's an added bonus. And what sort of role does an assistant coach play? Because typically you, in the news, right, you always hear, oh, the head coach, the manager, you always hear them, but you never really hear about the assistant coach. So talk me through some of the, you know, uh, again, the benefits of what an assistant coach provides, you know, to the team overall. Well, it's, uh, it's very different depending on where you go. Um, in, the, in, in the MLS, you kind of have coaches who, are, who I wouldn't say they have one job, but they're, they're, more, they're more specialized in their role in terms of, uh, you know, an assistant coach in the MLS may just be the guy who does all the on-field stuff, for example. And that's his job. 
another guy may another assistant coach maybe he does the on-field stuff but he works works with the strikers or he's you know he's in charge of recruiting whatever that may be in the usl it's a little bit different it really depends on the club um just because budgets are not really extensive in the usl um and it and there's so much variety in, in budgets in the usl um you know assistant coaches role can vary a lot for example like like last year in fresno my main role was my main roles was assistant coach i was the second assistant actually um, behind Robert Denshaw, he was the first assistant and strength and conditioning. Um, but here at uh, OKC, uh, there is no job that I don't do. Um, I'm an assistant coach. I'm head of fitness. I'm, uh, you know, head of recruitment. I, uh, you know, periodization, um, analyzing ourselves, analyzing the opposition. Um, you know, there's, there's not really a job I don't do. So from that sense, it really just does depend. Uh, on on what the needs of the club are, what the needs of the head coach are, um, and just and just budget in, in within that organization. It really just depends. But I wouldn't want it any other way here, to be honest. And and here's why: is I'm so big on education that I I like the fact I have to do everything because it makes me better at everything. I have to constantly be better and educate myself on on all components. Of, of my job and, and I'll give you an example um, from from a scouting and a recruitment standpoint and even an analyzing ourselves analyzing ourselves or an opposition I really like the fact that now data is becoming a, a big part of, of scouting and uh, essentially just ana you know analysis um, and I wasn't very educated on that at all so scouting for me was always watching the opposition with your eyes what do you see now, of course, there's always room for error with that. It's, it's, it can be really subjective. Um, so I, I was always looking for ways to make that a little stronger. And that's where data comes in. And I was weak in that department because initially I couldn't tell you what XG meant. I had no idea how to connect um, you know, certain statistics from, from a game or a player to what I'd seen. How did it make sense? How did it connect? So that was an area I was really weak in. So, because of my role in that department, I had to become better at that. And by no means am I good at it today, but I'm better than where I was, you know, nine months ago when I started to have to do, uh, do this stuff. So, um, yeah, it, 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 the role is vast, but I wouldn't want it any other way because it really forces you to just be better. Completely agree with you. And that's a great uh, sort of transition to the next topic, which is sort of the recruitment process. You talked and mentioned, uh, you know, data and analysis. So being more analytic driven than, you know, the eye test. Uh, do you think that's good for the game? It kind of seems like you're, you hinted that you, you, you like that way, right? You like that approach of looking at the data and, you know, based off that data and analysis, you go from there. Do you think that's good for the game? Or do you think there could be a certain negativity that comes from that? Because for example, I know like, as you was, you know that the game is now getting more fast paced, more physicality involved uh, across, you know, all leagues. And so, like, for example, with those using those programs and that analysis, you know, would a player like Messi ever come to age, you know, and like in today's game with, you know, using those tools to scout players? Um, I think there's a balance. I don't think you, you, you should be too far one way or the other. I don't think you should be too far to the side of I'm only ever going to watch games or players with my eyes and I'm only going to look at a player's data or a team's data. I just don't think it's um, that you, you know you've got the coach's eye. You, 
you've, you've, you, if you've played the game or you've been around the game or you've watched the game, you, you see things. You see things in players and in teams that you don't always get from data. Um, but it's always just nice to, I, I suppose, confirm what you see by using data. Um, and that's the way I use it is, you know, I, if I scout an opposition or if I look at a player, I will always watch the player or the team first. I will never, ever look at the data first. Um, and then I kind of compare what I saw with the data and say, okay, was I right? Was I wrong? Did I miss something? Um, and that's kind, kind of how I use it. I don't, I, don't, I don't think it should be too far one way or the other. Um, but again, the data piece is still something I'm learning a ton about and how to connect that to the player you're scouting or to the team that you, you're analyzing. No, for sure. Like, I, I, like, again, being in the U.S., there's a lot of sports now, like, again, baseball, basketball, NFL, that are very uh, analytic, dri analytical driven, you know, with a lot of data, you know, always looking at replays and examining players that way. So I'm definitely self-aware um, that, in this, in, well, rather that the, that sort of analysis is taking place in soccer now, too. Uh, whether it's good or not, that's up for debate, right? Probably people like that have been a lot like scouts for a very long time probably disagree with that aspect of it, but that's the future, right? There's no holding it back. Right. It's yeah. It it just really it it's really up for opinion and and really if if you like it or not. I mean, I, I like it because it, it you can really zoom in on a on a profile of a player. You know, if you want a specific type of, um, for example you know, a defensive midfielder and you want him to be a really forward thinking defensive midfielder. You want him to break lines more than he does play sideways or backwards. Um, data can help you with that. You know, you can watch the player and see, see if he does this stuff. But, you know, if for instance, you know, you can find statistics today that show you how much a player plays forward, how much he plays lateral and how much he plays backwards. And you can compare 10 different players in those three categories. And you can say, okay, this, these three players play forward more than they do sideways. So therefore, that's probably more of the, t uh, more of the, um, the profile we're looking for. So data can be helpful in that because when it comes to scouting, you can be so inundated with amounts of players that you get sent um, from agents and just the, just the availability of players. Um, it helps you really zoom in and identify a profile that you're looking for. Um, so from that sense, from a scouting sense, it could be really helpful in, in, in that area. Yeah, I completely agree with you there. And so what's next for OKC? What's coming up this next season? You're in the off season right now. What can we expect from you guys, you know, going forward? Next year is really, we don't know what's coming next year, obviously, because the world itself is still really unknown on what's going to happen with COVID. So we don't fully know what to expect yet. Is it, is it going to be a, a full season? Is it going to be a similar season to last? Um, you know, is the virus going to come back and, 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 you know, have a big impact on the world again? We don't know. Um, so we're just really focused on building a squad, trying to ingrain uh, the playing style that we're, we're trying to put into place. We're trying to really ingrain the culture that we're looking for um, and just, just try and be good people. Um, make ourselves better, make the players better, um, make the squad stronger and represent the organization as best as we can in the city. Um, that's all we can focus on. I think if we do all of those things right, uh, I think the results themselves will come. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's really just all hands on deck right now and just trying to improve all of those areas. Yeah, for sure. I'm definitely looking forward to seeing you guys and just a little off topic type of thing too. Uh, 
you saw the Ra- Raul Jimenez head injury uh, this weekend, right? I saw the, I saw some short clips of it, yeah. Yeah, it was like a fractured skull. And so what do you think about that? Because I've, I've, I saw it from, you know, ESPN. I've seen all that. I've seen clips where, you know, some analysts are saying, oh, there should be a substitution where, you know, a player appears to have a head injury or concussion. There should be a sort of protocol like there is in, 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 in the NFL, for example, uh, where they, they're big and heavy on that because of all the, you know, uh, data that's come out from that with CTE and all that. So do you think that can potentially work in soccer where you have like a sort of short substitute while that player is going through that protocol and then able to come back? Or you think it's too much of a workaround to, you know, get to get through rather? I think there's two parts to this. The first part, I think it's funny you mention it because um, a couple of years ago when I coached in the DA, that was one of the rules is if there was a head injury, uh, you could do a free, you, you had a free sub. Wow. So if, if, a, if, a, if a kid was suspected of having a head injury, they would come off, they would get assessed by the medical professional. If they deemed them okay, they could sub back on for the guy you brought on for them. Um, of course, if, it, if they were deemed um uh, if you were not cleared by the medical professional, then you'd already made the sub and you were good. Um, so that was something we had in the DA, and I liked it, especially especially for the youth level. I think it was extremely smart, um, just because you know concussions, head injuries, still to this day, even though there was been a lot of awareness about them over the past couple of years, I still feel like there's this kind of masculine, um, you know, stigma to it that you know oh, you're fine, just get on with it um, type of type of situation. So. I don't agree with it at all. Um, I don't care if it's a youth player or if it's a professional player. Uh, the brain is the most important thing in the body and it needs protecting. So if it takes, um, you know, if it takes a, a sub for somebody to get their brain checked out to make sure it's okay, whether it's in the Premier League or in the DA or whatever it is, um, I like the idea. Um, the second part to that is kind of a debate that's been going on recently about, you know, just a condensed schedule because of COVID yeah. uh, and, you know, the substitutions, it was five subs last year now it's three. Um, so I know there's a lot of a debate going on about that. So maybe, maybe that's something that could help if you had five subs this season, not just because of the condensed schedule, but also for situations like this, you know, can that extra couple subs help you in that scenario? Um, so I don't know if it's one way or the other. I don't know which I would favor, but I do think there's a place for, 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 for injuries like that to where I think you should be able to have a substitution in some way, shape or form. Do you think it could kind of be used towards an advantage for a certain team? Like maybe you can argue someone really doesn't have a head injury or something. Maybe the doctor does something. I don't know. Like, you know, for example, let's say Ronaldo, uh, you know, there's a head to head collision, but he's fine. But the doctor rules he's not. So he's out for the game. Do you think that can be a big concern if it starts happening to like more star players? I'm sure that can be one of the, you know, sort of kind of arguments to like not having that in place. Yeah, it's an interesting point. You know, could could somebody use that as an as a competitive advantage? So where, you know, they their their doctor when they assess somebody on the field says no, he needs to come off. So you got like a free sub. So I could I could see what you're saying. The only, I think the only way to combat that it depends on the level that you're at. But the, you know, the way to combat that is either have like a neutral a neutral doctor or have the um, the opposition team's doctor come on uh, and, and watch the assessment. Um, I don't know. It's a tough it's a tough conversation. I don't know what the answer is, but I think there's got to be some sort of neutral ground there to where there's somebody, a mediator in the middle uh, who, who watches over that stuff. 
Yeah, I think it's certainly feasible too. I mean, the money's there right across all top leagues, especially. I don't see why uh, it would be an issue to like even try to at least try to investigate sort of the process it can take to make, ensure that the players are being treated, right? Because again, head injuries, like you said, your brain, you only have one brain, right? You don't get another one. Uh, yep. So it's definitely a delicate topic. I do have one more question to you that's off topic. Uh, I've been asking other people in the podcast too. Uh, what sort of uh, the most embarrassing song you have on your, you know, on your playlist? Most embarrassing song? Ooh. Um, I think it's probably Glee Christmas songs. Hmm, okay, okay, all right. I dig yeah. that. That's not too bad. Yeah, it's, uh, I won't point fingers, but it wasn't me. <laughs> so I can only assume who it was then. <laughs> yeah, that's, prob that's probably the one. That's probably the one. And it's, it's not actually one song, it's an album. So that makes it worse. <laughs> I hear you, Lee. Well, man, thank you for coming on. And you have, do you have any final thoughts you want to share? No, it's been great to talk. It's always nice to kind of reflect um, on, on the past and uh, share some, I guess, advice. If it helps somebody, then great. Um, but yeah, it's always fun. So thank you for having me on. No, thank you so much. You know, um, if we don't talk, you know, from now to the, to the new year. I hope you have a great new year. And then, you know. Not like that. Can't wait to see the weekend. Stop